Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition. We have a very special episode today, live from the Secrets of Successful Syndication in Dallas, Texas. We have a case study on a project that ran into heaps of trouble. But first, I'd like to invite you to join me on the 17th Annual Investor Summit at Sea. This is a conference like no other. There's nothing quite like being in an immersive experience on a cruise ship with several hundred of the best and brightest in the world of real estate investing. Make no mistake, this is not a vacation. This is a very intense conference. It takes place over 10 days from March 14th to 24th. While it sounds like a huge commitment in time and money, I go back each and every year. If you want to compress timeframes, if you want to take your investing career to the next level, you definitely want to be on the Investor Summit at Sea. For more information, go to victorjm.com events. That's victorjm.com events. And we'll see you on the 17th Annual Investor Summit at Sea. We are back. Today's episode is a detailed case study of a project that could have been an unmitigated disaster. It ran into all kinds of trouble over several years. But what I've discovered is you don't learn much from just looking at success stories. The lessons and the learnings are buried in the problems and their solutions. So without further ado, we're going live on stage to the secrets of successful syndication. All right, please welcome back to the stage our friend and syndicator, Victor Minash. I'm going to take you to an opposite end of the spectrum. You can find deals or you can manufacture them. And the vast majority of what we do is new construction. Put up your hand if you know what the term cap rate compression means. Okay, not every hand's going up. So what that means is that when prices go up, when people are willing to pay too much, the cap rate that you would pay for that C-class property ends up being far too low. You see rates, cap rates for a C-class property that are not that different from what they might be for an A or B-class property. There should be a bigger spread in those prices. If I can build new product for a third less than things are selling for in the open market, that starts to look interesting to me. So that's one of the reasons why we prefer to build new product. What I'm going to show you today is not one of these pat yourself on the back success stories. I'm going to show you a screw up. And because it's in the screw ups, that's where the learning is. This particular project is on Master Street in Philadelphia. This is in that same neighborhood where we've been employing that strategy of buy on the line, move the line. To the south of the line, hot gentrified neighborhood. To the north of the line, you're deep into the hood. It's really not a nice area. This is what the property looked like before. It's an old Philadelphia-style townhouse, five buildings, in fact, a total of eight properties. From the air, you can see two rectangles here on Master Street, uh, and then the street behind. The idea was to redevelop the five buildings and then put parking behind it. Now, we bought these properties back in 2014. We had no idea what grand plans the city had. They were planning to expropriate 1,344 properties in the area, a total of 34 acres, in the core of Philadelphia. Of those 1,344 properties, 72 were owner-occupied. The rest were either vacant or condemned properties. By the way, we had about 85 properties in this area. We had a significant portion of our portfolio appear on this list for condemnation by the city. So I flew to Philadelphia, I had a meeting with the city council president's staff 
and made a presentation to show them what we were doing and what we would like them to do. And they actually accepted our proposal. Let me show you what we had planned for this property. We had planned 10 units. This is what the zoning would have allowed us. It was going to be 10 units in five buildings, so five duplexes up and down. Uh, nice, brand new construction. Uh, these are what the layouts look like with a staircase in the middle. Whenever you're building a townhouse, bedrooms need to be at opposite ends of the building because you need windows for bedrooms. Bathrooms, kitchens, living rooms don't need that necessarily, at least not according to the building code. So we would put the, the living area and the bedrooms at, at front and back, and we put all the, the, the other stuff in the middle. That's how you build townhouse-style properties. Our budget, we bought the land for 135 grand. Our hard construction, back at that time, in 2014, 2015, we were building routinely very good quality product for $88 a square foot. And so we built the entire budget for the project on that premise. So it was going to be about a $1.4 million project. We expected to appraise you know, north of a million eight based on other properties that we owned in the, in the area. And it would give us a yield on cost of about 30%, which would give us the ability to refinance, just like I showed you before, and recoup 100% of our initial investment. But... As soon as the city came and they gave us this lovely little letter, which was our notice of just compensation, they basically said to us, we now own your property. Uh, please take care of it. Please pay your taxes, but we now own it. Oh, and by the way, uh, they're supposed to give us fair market value. They offered us $7,000 in total for all the land that they were going to take from us, which meant that we could choose to fight them in court if we wanted, or we could accept their settlement. Anyway, we chose to fight them, but that's not the point of the story. While this process is underway, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty. You can't go to a lender and say, I'm going to go build now on this property. And not only that, you can't even demolish what's on there previously because, believe it or not, that land with derelict structures on it is worth more than vacant land. So by demolishing the buildings, even though it would be getting closer to the finished product, we would actually be destroying value. So we literally had to put the project on hold, waiting for whatever was going to happen. And as you know, time is money, so we're burning cash every month. So in the end, what happened was we ended up losing the properties at the back where we had intended to put the parking, but we were able to retain the five properties on Master Street. So we said, okay, fine, we lost the parking, no big deal. However, from 2014 to 2016, our cost per square foot went from, uh, from $88 a square foot to $115 a square foot. The project was no longer viable. We had taken investors' money. We'd been spent money on architecture fees, like we had full construction drawings. We were still paying monthly to our investors, so burning our interest reserves every month, and we're saying, what are we gonna do now? If we had proceeded with the project, our hard construction alone would have been a million four. Our total cost would have been just about the appraised value. Our yield on cost would have been under 3%. Now you'd say, okay, you're gonna go through all this work and you're gonna build something that's worth what you built it for, but what's the point? It'd be like Damien Lupo coming up here holding out a gold coin and offering to sell it for fair market value. You wouldn't get Michael Manti running up here like he did. You, could, you might take that trade, but what's the point? He did a good deal. 
we weren't interested in doing this deal. So what we did is we got together with our architecture team and we found a loophole. A loophole in the zoning code called a green roof. Now you might be asking what is a green roof? A green roof is exactly what it sounds like. It's putting grass on your roof. And with a green roof, you get a different density calculation. So what we were able to do, instead of 10 units, we were, with the green roof, able to get 13 units in that same footprint. So we went back to zoning. We threw away all of that architecture work that we had done and designed a new building based on 13 units. That's the architectural rendering of the front of the building. And we basically designed, rather than a townhouse style project, we designed a monolithic building in three stories, four stories actually, if you include the basement, uh, with four units per floor on most of the floors. And we're able to reconceive the project, recognizing that we would be building something around $115 a square foot. So the new budget, the land of course hasn't changed. Our soft costs went way up because we now had to design the project twice. We had now not a year of holding costs, but more like four years of holding costs. We made a little bit of money on the sale of the land. Instead of 7,000, we got 30 grand from the city. So we were able to get a little bit closer to fair market value. And the total cost of the project was higher at a, almost 2 million, but the finished project would be valued at a little over 2.4 million. Now, the numbers aren't great. Our yield on cost is 23%. So we're right about the ceiling of what we'll be able to recover on a refinance. But we were able to rescue what would have been otherwise an absolute disaster, simply by employing a little bit of creativity in redesigning the project. So this is the building as it exists today. This was taken last month. Uh, we are, that is the green roof, so that's literally grass on your roof. And without going into all the details of the complexity of doing a green roof, it's, a, it's something that you may want to consider, and it may be something that can give you a lot of value in a density calculation. Not all municipalities know about it, not all municipalities have that in their zoning code, but it can get you higher density, can change the perspective on your project. So I wanted to share this with you simply to say that I'm going to pose it as a question. Put up your hand if you've ever had something go wrong in a project. Yeah, absolutely. Almost every project we encounter has some surprise. And what distinguishes success and failure, in my view, is number one, is that quality of tenacity. The unwillingness to allow obstacles to get in your way. We could have folded on this project several times and we simply would not accept failure. So that if there's any one message I wanna leave you with, even with all the complexities of new development, work with people that have that tenacity because it's your investor's money that's in play here and I'm not willing to lose investor's money. Turn it back to Robert Helm. Thank you, sir. All right. So, one of the great things about real estate is that when you get around the right people, they're willing to admit when mistakes happen, right? Experience is a thing that allows you to recognize a mistake when you make it again. But, uh, and big thanks for Victor being humble about that, right? Not, it's not all, you know, when you go to a real estate seminar and they're showing you check after check after check after check. Who's been to that seminar, right? That's just a clue. 
We're trying to be a little more sobering than that. Yeah, you can get deals done, and yeah, you can be creative and think around it, but you know what? Stuff goes wrong. It goes wrong all the time. Well, folks, I hope you found that case study to be interesting and educational. And again, a reminder, I'd love to see you on the 17th Annual Investor Summit at Sea. Check out victorjm.com slash events. That's victorjm.com slash events. And we'll see you on the summit at sea. As you're thinking about that, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.